All right, 1 Peter chapter 5. So, real quick, has anybody been watching the Olympics this year? I know today we have the closing ceremonies, like three of us. All right, sweet. Well, it's been awesome, and I've had a lot of fun with it. But um, real quick, it's something I'm going to talk about a little bit has been um, tied into the Olympics. So if you haven't been watching it, it's great, because you probably have no idea what I'm going to talk about when it comes to it then. But, um, but I love the, the competitiveness that comes to the Olympics. I love the, the, the watching and the cheering for USA. You know, I, I get the Aurora and Avery, my girls, cheering, you know, USA as we, as we watch the teams go for it. And what's crazy is in the Winter Olympics, this is typically the Olympics the USA does not do good in. Uh, we typically do really, really well in the Summer Olympics. So this year, we actually had our worst outing in the past 24 years in the Winter Olympics. Um, but more on that in a little bit because there was something really, really cool that happened amidst the controversy with uh, USA's not living up to what they thought. So keep that in your mind. It's going to be fun getting to it. Now, uh, before we dive in today, First um, Peter chapter 5, I have to admit that I have a problem. A lot of you guys immediately just went, yeah, Niner fan. But, you know, it's a, there, there's an, another real problem that I have. And this actually is not a problem that, that just I have. I think husbands in general we have this problem. It's a, it's a condition that causes strife at home. It causes tensions to rise. And it can lead to the spending of unnecessary funds. I'll admit it. I know about it. But there's no cure in sight for this. Men, I hope you'll rally with me on this. I suffer from refrigerator blindness. <laughs> Does anybody else out there have refrigerator blindness? You are told to go to the fridge. Dustin, will you go to the fridge and get the whatever? I open it up, and it's not there. I know it's not there. And she'll, Stephanie will tell me, it is on the second shelf behind this over on that side. And I will look, and it is not there. And I will move things around, and I'll pull things to the side, and I, I have to tell her, you know, hang my head in defeat. It, it's not there. I cannot find it. And so what does she do? She walks over. It's right here. And I just have to walk away in shame. There was no excuse for it. It was right there, but it, I could not see it. I'm, I know I'm not the only one that suffers from this. And Stephanie will actually tell me. She goes, Dustin, do you open the fridge and do this? <laughs> to which I just have to say yes, I guess, at that point. Because I didn't see what was right there, right? I have refrigerator blindness. Now, with that in mind, it only gets worse. It does not get better. Even with clear instructions, I cannot find things in the fridge sometimes. But today we're going to be talking about um, a different kind of refrigerated blindness. Nothing to do with food, but it is going to do with sight and how we, sees things, how we see things and how God sees things. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about, we call it the always God. Some things God always does. We talked about how God always hears us. We talked about how God is always speaking to us. And today we're going to talk about how God does not have refrigerator blindness. God speaks to us in a lot of amazing ways. Things that he did in uh, the Old Testament, he carries through to the New Testament. A lot of things that uh, we may think, God, why are you not doing this? God does. This is why I like having two free hands, right? But God doesn't pass out, and God doesn't miss things in our lives. Today, we're going to talk about how there's things in our life that we may think God misses, but God is always seeing what's happening in our lives. Everything we do, everything we go through, we have a God that is seeing and watching every single little thing. But it doesn't stop there, because if we want to unpack this idea of God seeing us, it goes deeper into the sense that God is not just seeing. The God who sees you, if we really unpack it, it really means this is not just the God that sees you, this is the God that cares about you. 
This is really the God that cares about you. And I want this message to be a message of hope. There's going to be a part on here where you may think, oh gosh, now he's just calling me out. This is, this is not meant to be a message of doom and gloom by any way, shape, or form. I hope that when we leave here today, we actually are really encouraged on seeing how and understanding how God sees us, how God responds to us, things we can do that gets God to notice what's going on in our lives. So I want this really to be something that uplifts and encourages, but at the same time causes us to, to do some internal reflection as we leave here as well. Sound good? All right, let's pray together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that, that you are a God who sees. God, you're a God who cares. And I pray that today as we, uh, as we dive into your word and talk about this, that, that we're encouraged to go out into our lives knowing that you see what we're doing. You see the inside. You see the outside. God, you see everything, and you care about all these things. So, God, I ask that we're encouraged, we're motivated, and we turn to you more and more every day. And, God, that when we leave here today, we don't just, we don't just leave our message or what we learned here. We take it out with us everywhere we go. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right. So in life, there are certain things that we see, right? Some things I think all of us have a natural tendency to notice things more than other people. Um, you could be driving down the street and something can catch your eye and go, oh, did you see that? And the other person in the car, no idea. Just, just went right over their heads. Or maybe uh, you're watching a movie, and in this movie, you'll see a detail that flies by, and you noticed it, but maybe some other people didn't. Um, something I love to watch uh, movie-wise, like uh, we, we actually just went and saw Death on the Nile last night. And if you like uh, a murder mystery, it's kind of the whodunit style movies, this was really, really fun. And I noticed some things that I picked up on, and then after the movie, I was talking to Stephanie, and she saw some things that I didn't, I saw things she didn't. It's fun to see the different things that catch your eye. We all have things that, that are clearer to us than others, but sometimes we see things and it causes questions to arise. We can see things out in society, and instead of saying, oh, that was cool, it turns into a, why is this? Why is that? What's going on here? Uh, or maybe you, you see something that maybe you would say, I hope something comes of that. Or maybe you say, I see this, and my heart goes out to that person. All of us have a different tendency to notice different things. Maybe you'll see something, and it causes an internal statement to be made in your heart. For example, maybe you see something that's, uh, that's a trial or a, tr a trouble that you're going through. Maybe you see things in your life that are just adding up to loss after loss, and it's hurting, and it's hurting. You can't seem to catch a break. No matter what you do, you can't seem to see the light at the end of the tunnel for the trials you're going through. I think a lot of us have been going there recently. Um, I absolutely love that we get to see a light at the end of the tunnel for this mask mandate coming up. Like, celebrate that that's happening. But sometimes we don't see that light. Sometimes we just see the rain, and when, sometimes when it rains, it pours. And that's all we see, and we can't see past it. Or maybe you look around at work, and while you're working hard, trying to honor the Lord, doing everything you do, you see the work you're putting in, but your superiors don't see the work you're putting in. And when it comes time for that promotion, or it comes time for that raise, or that, that acknowledgement, or that review, where you're like, all right, I get to go here, and they're going to acknowledge all the stuff I've done, they don't acknowledge it. And you get passed over by somebody else who isn't doing as much work, who isn't working as hard, but they get the recognition for something you've done. And you're like, man, why did my boss not see me? Why, why did my superiors not see what I'm going through, see what I'm doing, and I've been left behind wondering, why am I not even noticed? Do they even care about what I do? Or maybe things that catch your eye is just the evil in the world. Um, it's, man, one thing I don't like to do, I don't like to watch or read the news. I, I don't like it because I feel like for every one positive story, I feel like there's 15 negative stories that, that go through the news. Or my, my phone started this new smart notification update, but every time it's, there was a shooting here, there was a robbery here, watch yourselves when you go here. Like, I don't want to read that stuff. 
But maybe for some of us, that's what catches our eye. And I know that when you see those things, you start wondering, man, what is happening? Why is there senseless crime? Why is there senseless hurt and pain happening in the world? Why are there people taking being taken advantage of? Why are their lives being lost to this tragedy? Why is anybody doing something? Does anybody care? You can let your mind get flooded with questions. But then we get to this question. It was a question people have asked me. Is, have you ever asked God this? I have asked God this. Maybe you've asked God this. Maybe you've looked up during the news, during the midst of just life, your life, the world's life, and your question is, God, do you even see this? God, are you even seeing this? But I want to challenge that question because I think when we ask that question, that's not the real question we're asking. I think we can, we can look at Scripture and think that, yes, God sees that, but it goes deeper. Think of the last time you asked a child to clean something up. Did they do it? And you may say yes, but did they do it well, <laughs> right? Did they do it well? Would they say they're done? Maybe they're not really done. Now, you can ask a kid, and you say, hey, will you do this chore? Will you clean this up? And then you go and you look at it, and you see it's not done all the way. And then some of the questions you can have is like, did you even see that right there? I just asked you to clean this up. Did you not see what's sitting down right there? Let me answer that question for you. Yes, they saw it. Yes, they know their job was not done. No, they didn't want to do it. Now that, that's the simple progression, right? Yes, they saw it. They, they know it's there, but no, they, they didn't want to do it. They just went on with their, their day. Now, we've been doing at home a clean room challenge with our girls. So one thing that we, we do is, you know, if we go through the house and we clean everything up, we've noticed it takes Avery exactly two and a half minutes for her room to look like the Tasmanian devil just did a, a whirlwind through it. And we'll say, Avery, clean up your room. And the typical response is, all by myself? Oh, she hits the ground. The, the cleaning kind of stops before it even began. But if we're sitting in the room with her, <coughs> excuse me, just kind of coaching her along, hey, pick this up, then she'll do it. But the thought of her doing it by herself just freaks her out. But it takes so little time for her to make a mess of something that takes her so long to clean up. So we decided to do a clean room challenge with them. We said, all right, Aurora and Avery, here's what we're going to do. If you keep your room clean for two straight weeks, every night you go to bed, your room is clean, like, like it is now. We had it all clean. We're looking at it. The beds are made. Things are nice. If you do this for two straight weeks, we'll do something special with you girls. What do you want to do? I was bracing myself for something outrageous because I know my kids and I know their mother. <laughs> Didn't know where this was going to go. I was expecting, we're going to go shopping and we're going to go out to eat at some ridiculous restaurant that's I was like, I got to save up for this two weeks. I was overjoyed when they said, can we get ice cream? We can get ice cream. Dairy Queen is two blocks away, right? We're getting ice cream. And then they, they said, no, no, not just ice cream, hot fudge sundaes. Like, I'm in. This is good. So that's been the motivation now. Keep your room clean for two weeks, and we can get hot fudge sundaes. Now, they took the challenge really, really well. For a 5-year-old, 10-year-old, they've been doing great. There was one day I went into Avery's room, though. She said she was done, and I saw a whole bunch of plastic tubes on the ground. She has this little kid's basketball thing with, like, a PVC pipe with connectors, and she builds it, and she tries throwing this big, like, exercise ball through the little hoop thing. She's shooting hoops. It won't work, but she loves it. So she's playing with this, and she says the room's clean, and these toys are everywhere. And she said, Dad, my room's clean. And I walked in, and I was like, oh, no, we're on day 10 at this point. You blew it what I wanted to say. It's like, you, you, you were so close. You said the room was clean, but this stuff is everywhere. And I did tell her. I said, Avery, this is not clean. You got to go to bed in like two minutes. There's no way you can do this in two minutes. And she goes, but daddy, I'm not done playing with it yet. 
all right, touche. I did say if you were playing with toys, you could keep them out. I said, but then you got to put them to bed or put them away before you go to sleep. And she's like, but daddy, tomorrow's Saturday. There's no school. I'm going to play with these in the morning. <laughs> all right, the loophole queen has begun, right? So that was her excuse. Come to find out, she did play with it that night. And the next morning, she got out of bed, and she was right back at it, playing with those same toys. So we were okay. Let it go. She built with it. She played with it. And then when she was done, she put it away all by herself. And that was just like victory, right? And then, of course, in my mind, I want ice cream too. So I'm like, don't you ruin this for me, kid. I want my ice cream. <laughs> she had a plan to do something with all that stuff. I didn't know the plan, but I immediately, when I went to, do you even see what's going on? It went back to my refrigerator blind this moment, right? Like, do you even see what's happening in here? But the real question wasn't, do you not see this? The real question was, do you care about hot fudge sundaes? Because that was the motivation for keeping them clean. So the question isn't, do you see the stuff on the ground? It's, do you care about the reward? Do you care what this is leading to? I know you can see it, but does it even bother you that you're going to miss something out so big? And I think when we cry out to God and we ask God, do you even see what's happening right now, God? Do you look out in the world? Do you see what's happening in, in my neighbor's life? Do you see what's happening in my life? Do you see what's going on right now? We're not asking God, do you see? What we're really asking God is, God, do you care about what's happening right now? Do you care about these trials in my life? Do you care about these trials in my friend's life? Do you care about the world, God? Do you even care right now because things bad are still happening? Now, when Peter, what we're going to read here, he was talking to the Christians in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. This is what they were asking. God, do you even care? Look what's happening around us. Do you even see what's going on? Do you even care? Here they are living in a very intense persecution time. They're getting hunted down. They're getting abused, discriminated against. They're getting taken advantage of. They're getting martyred. And they're asking all these justice questions to God. God, do you see what's happening? God, do you care about what's happening to us? And Peter had to address them. And when he wrote this, he wrote to encourage their belie the believers. He said, I'm going to write this to you because I want you to keep your trust in the one who not only sees you, but he cares about your suffering. God not only sees them, he cares about them. And what I love is that's not a principle that ends in this one letter to Peter. So we can change that to today. God sees them and cares about them. God sees you and God cares about you. God sees you and God cares about you. First Peter, we're going to start in chapter 5. Um, First Peter 5, 6 through 11 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, him, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a line in there that, that we'll, we can come back to a little bit later, but it says, after he has allowed you to suffer for a little, after you've suffered for a little, God with all his grace who called you home. So he doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going to take all your suffering away. He says, you know what? In this life, you're going to suffer a little bit. We, we call that life, right? Life happens. But I love that God is there seeing it happen. And in the midst of this happening, he still shows up because he cares. I want to share some truths with you. And each truth revolves around this idea of God still seeing and God still caring. 
first one is this. God sees what we do. Plain and simple, right? God sees what we do. There's no hiding your actions from him. You go outside, you go across the street, the way you talk to your neighbors, the, thing, the actions you take. God sees all these things that we do. Psalm 33, 13 to 15 says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Now you can look at this and say, all right, so he looks down from heaven and he sees us, but what is God doing? Is he just watching? Well, no, he's not just watching. He's sitting out over his throne and, and he's ruling. I'm so glad that he's the ruler and I am not because when you think of all the billions of people on the earth that he is in charge of, I, I feel like I have a hard time being in charge of the small people I'm in charge of <laughs> sometimes. I, I have two little humans that, are, that I'm in charge of and it's a hard job. You can imagine God being in charge of, in his mind, seven billion little humans, right? I'm so glad he's in charge and I'm not. But what is he doing? He's, he's there and he's watching. He's ruling. He is reigning over his creation. He is working his plans, not just for the world. He's working his plans for each person in the world. He's observing all of our deeds as we live our lives every day. So if he's doing that, then what is he looking for? We say God sees it, but what is God looking for? The, the easy answer and the short answer is everything. Right? He sees everything. He's looking for everything. But if we really dive into Scripture, we see some things that really catch his eye. There are a few times in Scripture where we can say someone did something and God was moved. God noticed. God responded. So what are these things? What do we do that causes God to say, that I see, that I notice? Jesus says this in Matthew about how God sees the way that we pray is one of the first things. Matthew 6, 4 through 6, Jesus says this, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go to pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. I love that God, as we talked about this some last week, you know, God doesn't just see how we pray. He sees the heart behind how we're praying. He sees what we're doing. He sees the attitude that comes with your prayer. Last week we referred to this as the posture of your heart. He sees the posture you lay before him. He sees the attitude that comes with it. He sees the humility or the pride that you're coming to him with. And he doesn't just see these things. This passage says he cares about these things. It's not just something he notices. It's something that he deeply cares about. The humility behind it, that posture, it's noticed, it's acknowledged. And I love that this passage says it's responded to. What you do in secret, it's not about other people seeing it. That's why it's a secret, right? But when you're doing it in that secret place when it's just you and God, he notices, he cares, he responds. He would later teach in a parable in Matthew 25 about eternal rewards and how this relates to the way that we treat people because God sees how we treat each other. He sees how we approach him, and he sees how we approach his children. It talks about how God will reward, and he sees how you, how you feed the hungry. Do you feed the hungry? How you clothe the naked. How you visit the sick and imprisoned. All these things come with loving your neighbor. And I love that God sees how are we loving our neighbors. And now, I know that if you, if you drive down the street and you see, you see someone with a sign that says, I, I, need, I need money, I need food. I'm not saying every time you see a sign, every single person, give everything you have to them. But I am saying that there, there's times I know that, that I've been driving down the street and I've seen, and I honestly, total honestly, I've not given money or something to every single person I've seen. But there are times where I'm driving by and it's just that, that double take, right? You look and there's that stirring in your heart like, I feel like it's God really saying, hey, be a blessing to that person. And I get a chance to pull over and just say, hey, 
this isn't much, but here's what, I, here's what I've got on me. I can get you, you know, hopefully can get you some food. There were times, I think I've shared before a while ago about a time where uh, I was with Aurora and we went to Trader Joe's. There was a lady sitting out front. She had a sign saying she was hungry. And Aurora was the one. I honestly, it's just one of those things where I didn't really notice it. But Aurora said, Dad, what does that sign say? And she was little. I said, said she's hungry. She goes, can we get her food? It's like, all right, Aurora, I'm supposed to be the adult here. But yes, yes, we can get her food. And I, I knew Aurora right there was responding to something God put on her heart. And I know that God's going to honor that with Aurora. She has a desire. And it, it echoes into the, the Mexico missions trip. We've gone there, and Aurora just has this desire to feed people. And I know that that's something God's going to honor. She feeds the hungry, and she loves to do it. It's a desire God's put on her heart. And she doesn't do it for the recognition. She doesn't run around telling everybody, guess what I did yesterday? I went to Trader Joe's with my dad. I told him to buy that lady food. She doesn't say those things. She doesn't really tell anybody unless we bring it up. It's like, Aurora, why don't you share what happened at Trader Joe's? Because that's just something God's put on her heart that she gets to do. And I know God notices that. God sees that, and God loves that. God notices the things you do, the things you don't think anybody else notices, God does. God sees our actions, he sees our obedience, and he rewards it. Now, here's, here's the flip side that I said, don't get mad when I talk about this. As much as God sees our obedience, guess what he also sees? He sees our disobedience, right? God sees our disobedience. He sees our disobedience in our sin. Listen to Jeremiah 16, uh, verse 17. It says this, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. And then Psalm 90, verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Just as much as God sees all the good things we do, he also sees the things that we do in secret that nobody else sees, right? But God sees those things. Maybe you'll think, eh, he won't notice this expense report that maybe I messed with the numbers a little bit. He's not going to know that my tax return does not really say I should get this much money back, but I'm going to put this number in there and get a little bit bigger return this year. If I close the door and turn down the lights, he's not, no one's going to see that I'm going to click on this link on my computer that nobody should be clicking on. Nobody will see this. He sees those things, right? But sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking nothing, he, he misses those things. But, but the truth is nothing gets past him. He sees it all. Hebrews 4.13 and Psalm 121 says nothing that we do is out of sight. He is aware, he sees, and our sin ultimately gets revealed. Even if we try to conceal it, it ultimately comes out. He sees our faithfulness and obedience as well as the unfaithfulness and disobedience. It's like the kid with chocolate on their face. We've all had this moment, did you eat that cookie? No, I didn't. What's on your face? And then they'll still say they didn't eat the cookie, right? So I imagine if we try to conceal our sin from God, we, we end up looking kind of like this. Check this out. I love the, the slow back away there when he realizes he's busted, right? <laughs> nope, nope, didn't do it. <laughs> but I like to think when, when we try to conceal something from God, that's kind of what I think it looks like, right? It's like, did you do this? No, God, I didn't do it. It's like, really? <laughs> I saw it happen. I see it now. Now, Sometimes we, can, we try to do that, though. We justify things thinking, no, God won't notice, or people won't notice. But he does see those things, too. And Peter wants people, the people here in his passage to know, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of what's going on, God sees whether or not they're going to humble themselves in the light of the suffering that they're doing, or they're going to be prideful and try and do things on their own. Are they going to be humble, or are they going to experience so that at the proper time they will be exalted, or are they going to follow God so that he is exalted in the midst of everything going on, it's including what God is allowing them to go through? 
Knowing God sees us should motivate us to stay the course. And not, not just out of fear like, oh, oh man, i got to do this or God's going to come down, but more of a, I'm going to do this because I know it will please God. It will make him happy. And when I'm living in his way, he pours his blessings out upon me, and he's able to respond and help get me through all these hard things. That's the motivating factor for why we love God and serve God. The scripture says, we love because he first loved us. We get to do these because he loved us first. And that's our motivating factor for knowing when God sees you, man, we get to do these amazing things that are pleasing to him. So God sees what we do. God also sees what we do not. God sees what we do not. Remember, God is in his position, right? He is ruling. He is reigning. He is enthroned over all of creation. And this points to his, his sovereignty, ready? He, he's able to see everything that we cannot see. He has like the press box view for life. If you've ever been to a sporting event or, or just an event of some kind where you're sitting up high and you get to see everything, that's, that's the view God has. He gets to see the whole picture because of where he's positioned. He has a totally different perspective and sees what we do not see. For example, he doesn't just see our obedience or disobedience. He sees the very motives of the heart behind it. He sees why we obey or why we disobey. He sees clearly to your heart. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And then Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Some of you may know the story of when, when Samuel was called to anoint the next king. And um, Samuel comes, and he finds a man named Jesse. And Jesse has a whole lot of kids. And God tells Samuel, one of Jesse's kids is going to be the next king. Go talk to Jesse. So Samuel goes, and Jesse brings most of his kids, not all of his kids out. And the first one Samuel comes across is Eliab. And Samuel is so impressed when he sees him. Eliab is tall. He's handsome. He is ripped. Like, this is the man. So Samuel looks at him and says, God, I found our king. God's not impressed. And God says, nope, this is not going to be the king. This process goes on through a number of kids, and Samuel gets discouraged almost. And one boy's like, God, I'm going through all these kids, and they, they all look like king material. But God keeps rejecting them, saying, this is not the king. This is not going to be the next king. First Samuel 16, 7, this is God talking to Samuel. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God sees what we don't. And this is a really good thing. If, if you leave with something today, understand that. There's a big idea. God sees it all. He sees the heart. Sometimes we, we wonder what happens with unanswered prayer. Does God see our prayer? Does he care about our prayer? What, what is happening with unanswered prayer? And I think in this context of unanswered prayers, we've talked about God who has a, he hears our prayers. We've talked about this last week, but why do we have unanswered prayers? Does God see what we're going through? Does he care about this? Why, why is he not moving in the way that I'm asking him to move? Why do we feel like it's not answering the way we want him to? Well, it's because, again, he sees what we don't. God sees what we don't care. I, I like the, this analogy that I found of, of God being like the ultimate air traffic controller. You know, air traffic controllers, they have this radar, right? And they get to see all the planes in the air. And they know, they say, okay, I get to keep track of all the planes, and according uh, in 2017, there was an average of 9,728 planes in the air carrying over 1.2 million people at any given time of the day. That's a lot of planes. 
And there are people in different air towers who can see a whole lot of these planes on one screen, and they're directing them consistently. You go this way. You go that way. Trying to get them all to their directions, their destinations, without hitting each other. Because one wrong move can be disastrous. One wrong move can send a plane down and cause a whole lot of problems. But God, when, he, when we're praying to God, God gets to see all these things in play. God gets to see all of our prayers. He sees all of our lives. He sees every aspect of every single detail. And he also sees what will bring him the most glory, what will work for his kingdom more than anything else. He sees the cause and effect of every single choice that we make. He knows what a yes prayer will lead to, or yes answer to prayer will lead to here. He knows what a no will lead to here. He gets to see everything that we don't get to see because we have a very finite mind. We're constricted to what we want when he sees everything. The most uh, recent example we have of this was with uh, Lisa Hansler. Now, Lisa went to be with Jesus this past week. If you've, I mean, We emailed out about it, and Chris has come, and he's preached, and we prayed for Lisa as a church, and we prayed for her last week, and we were praying for a miracle. We knew that talking with, with Chris, that it was getting to a point where it was, it was looking really, really hard, and we were praying for a miracle, and I remember when I got that phone call in the morning saying that she went to be with Jesus, and, and the, fir- the first thought is, no, you know, no, we didn't want this. We're praying for healing. We're praying for something else. And I remember even talking to somebody later saying, you know, hey, Lisa passed away. And this person told me that they said, I was praying so hard for this miracle. And I truly believed this miracle would happen, that, that she would get healed. And it would be one of those things where we get to say, wow, the doctor said one thing, and now she's healed. And look at this miracle. But it didn't happen. And as I was thinking about it, I said, you know what? Who's to say that miracle's not going to happen? Who, who's to say that, that what happened with her life here and her ultimate now healing in heaven is not going to lead to a miracle in somebody else's life? And Lisa lived an incredible life. She was loved by so many people. And if you go to her Facebook page and you see some of the things she posted on her blog about going through the, the cancer treatments, you'll be nothing but inspired. Nothing but inspired with the things she said, her attitude and her heart behind it. And I have no doubt that her story was so inspiring. Her life was so meaningful that even though now she is in heaven, there are still going to be miracles here on earth because of the life she lived. So we may say God didn't answer our prayers. No, he did. And I'm willing to bet God knew that when he called her home, this was an answer to prayer that is going to answer somebody else's prayer that's going to probably lead someone to him. I believe it because of the life she had. God sees the impact of everything we do. It's, and he answers prayers that are going to show his work. They're going to show his glory. It's going to bring words and power to his name. We can believe in confidence and pray this. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called, for those who are called according to his purpose. Our seeing is limited. God's is not. And this should be one of the main reasons that we worship him, because he sees it all. John Piper, theologian, said this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. You may be aware of three of them. God may be doing 10,000 things. You may be aware of three. I love that there's so much going on, because he sees all the ins and outs, and he cares about all the ins and outs. We may only, we're only aware of just a little bit of what God is doing, but know that there is so much more at work. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that he even sees the adversary trying to stop us from these things. He he even sees the steps that are in place to try and get in our way of him, and he's prepared for those too. What he sees is real. 
It's the spiritual battle that all of us are in each and every day. But Peter here is encouraging the, the believers. He says, in the midst of this persecution, don't get so fixated on the outward circumstances of their life. Don't get so concentrated on all those who are physically opposing you, reminding them. This is what Peter says. I'm going to remind you, in the midst of your physical battles, the midst of your present, who is in charge? Who sees it all? Who is the giver of life? Who is the blesser of life? He's still on your side. He is still right there with you. And Satan, the forces of darkness, cannot stand against him. Recall the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over all this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I, ho I hope as we, as we unpack this, start to see a little bit clearer now the way God sees things. Peter tells them, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. It's going to be hard. You will suffer. That's going to happen. But please stand firm because it's your faith that's going to allow you to see with the spiritual eyes how God is working through all these things that we may not be able to see if we just look at things with our physical eyes. Got to be able to look at it from a different perspective. God sees what we do. He sees what we don't. And God also sees what has us down. When we are down, when we feel down and out, God sees what has you down. In this passage, it says God is very aware of the believer's stance right now. He's very aware of the martyring. He's very aware of the, uh, the suffering and the persecution and the things that are just literally beating people to the ground. God sees it. Again, it has not caught him by surprise. Nothing we go through today catches God by surprise. There is no conversation you will have today, tomorrow, at work, in life, where God will go, well, I did not see that coming. He knows it's coming. He's prepared for it. He sees it. And I need you to know this. Even though he sees what's happening, what's going to happen, he sees you as you are right now. In the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, God sees your hurt. God sees your pain. In your struggle and in your hardship, God sees your struggle. He sees your hardship. In your confusion and your tears, God sees your confusion. He sees your tears. This, uh, this, when I was going through this, it reminded me of a story in the, the Old Testament with someone who doesn't get a whole lot of talking about, but the story of Hagar. Hagar, we have Abraham's servant. So we have Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, Hagar was Abraham's wife's servant, and God made this big promise to Abraham. We talked about this in our uh, beginning series. God said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of nations. Look up into the stars. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham's getting old. Really, really old, and there's no kids yet. Sarah's getting old, really, really old, past childbearing years, and there are no kids yet. So Sarah has this great idea. She says, Abraham, go sleep with my servant Hagar. Abraham says, okay. He does. He, he goes, and he sleeps with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. This was not God's plan but they took it into their own hands. It's almost like they had forgotten the promise that God gave them. Like they, they'd gotten to this point where they said, God, I guess you're not seeing us. I guess you're not caring about what's happening with our bodies right now because we're the, the clock is ticking and the clock is about past due and it's not happened. So they take it into their own hands. Sarah says, Abraham, go sleep with my servant. And he does. When he does, she gets pregnant. Abraham and Sarah say they're going to raise this child as their own. This is going to be the first of the descendants. Well, when that happens, it doesn't work out too well. She gets pregnant, and Sarah becomes very jealous. Very jealous of what had happened, very jealous that, she's, that now this other woman is pregnant when she couldn't have a baby. She gets so angry, it says that she dealt harshly with Hagar, and she forced Hagar to run away. 
So Hagar runs. She runs into the desert wilderness to get away from Sarah. And she and now, she's in the desert. She is a broken woman. And if you look at this from her perspective, she is a servant. A servant who was following her master's orders. She was doing what she was told. And now she's being punished for doing what she was told. And she's there. She's tired. Totally being unjustly treated. She's alone. By herself, pregnant, in the desert. She has absolutely nothing. She has absolutely no one. I'm willing to bet at some point in our life we felt as if we had one or more of these three things. Tired, alone, nothing, and no one. Hagar literally is all three of these right now, in the desert of all places. Here in Washington, I'm finding out we don't know what deserts are. Lots of rain. Here in the desert, tired, alone, nothing, no one. But in this moment, in her brokenness, when she is at rock bottom, at this moment an angel appears and says, I want you to go back. Go back and submit to Abraham and Sarah. And the angel promises her that you will have this son. And listen to Hagar's response. This is so great. Genesis 16, 13, Hagar says this. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. She knew in that moment, in the midst of those things, tired, alone, and nothing, she acknowledges, God, even in my lowest, my, my brokenness, my, my not understanding why this is happening to me, you see me. And not only did God see her, God cared and said, this is where you get to go and you will be taken care of. As you read through more of Hagar's story, she does have the baby. And even though they still leave, God blesses them because God sees their hurt. God sees some of the injustice that happens, and God blesses this family. God reveals himself to his people through names. And in Scripture, we see a lot of names, but this, we see the name in Hebrew. It says, Jehovah Roy, which means the God who sees me. They call out in Scripture, God, you are the God who sees me. Hagar said, you are the God who sees me. Truly, I see him who looks after me. And this is the God that we serve. This is the God that sees you. This is the God that cares about you. He sees what you're going through, and he looks after you. Can I tell you how much comfort and hope this should bring us? No matter what you're going through, at your lowest of lows, that he sees and he cares. What's weighing on your heart today? Is it a broken relationship? Is it, were you the recipient of abuse in your past and it's got you down? Is there a secret sin that you're struggling with? And I don't mean something that you're, you're kind of sneaking by, but something that you are really struggling with, a habit you're trying to break. Are there bills that are piling up and you don't know when relief is going to come? Is it a miscarriage? Is it the inability to have a baby? Is it an addiction? Is there an injury or an illness? Is it the death of a loved one? What, what, is, what has got you down today in a point where you say, man, I feel like I am at a low point and I'm wondering if God sees me? Listen to this. God sees you. He's listening to you. He cares. Whatever it is weighing on your heart, Know that he wants to take it from you. He wants to take this burden off you. He wants to give you joy that comes from him. He wants you to be able to see that you can have joy in the midst of these trials because he sees and he cares and he loves. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares. Not just because he sees, because he cares. Psalm 56, 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. He sees every tear you shed. He sees your suffering, whatever it may be, even for just a short time, or if it's going to be years of tears, years of hurt, years of pain, he sees it. He keeps record of it, and he wants to take it. I told you ultimately at the beginning that I want this to be a message of hope, 
And what is most hopeful to me is this verse that we just read. Jesus restores, he confirms, he strengthens, and he reestablishes. I'd like to invite the worship team back up this morning. The last truth we have about what God sees. God sees what Jesus has done. God sees what Jesus has done. When he looks down on us, I see that there, there's, there's, we can say there's two categories of people, those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ yet. But I love that even though some of us have come to know Jesus, there are those who haven't come to know Jesus. You know what God does? He loves us all. His love is for everyone. We put our faith and trust in him. God no longer see, sees our sin. What he sees is he sees his son. When we call out to Jesus, when we receive him, he sees what Jesus did for us and doesn't look on us and say, oh man, there's someone who just is, is a mess up and screws up and can't get this done. He sees his son who died. He sees the blood of his son who washed away your sin. Jesus sees what Jesus did for you. Colossians 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And when we have Christ in our lives, we get to be with Jesus because he sees what Jesus did for us and he loves us and he cares. Would you please stand with me? <clears throat> My prayer is that everybody here, whether you're in person or whether you're online joining us today, know that God cares about everything you're going through. Know that God cares about your hurts. God cares about your struggles, your trials, your pain. God cares. The next time you ask God, God, are you seeing this? You know the answer. He saw it. He sees it now. He cares about it, and he's working on it. God is moving. God is working. He loves you, and he sees it all. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that you're not just a God that sees us. You're not just a God that sees the pain. You're a God that cares about us. You're a God that cares about our pain. You care about our trials. You care about our hurt. God, you care about our tears. God, you, you care. I pray that as we leave here today, God, we're able to, to walk in that, to rejoice in that, to know that we serve a God who loves, a God who cares, a God who wants the best. And that the next time we go through a trial or struggle, we don't just see it with physical eyes and see the problems we're going through, but we get to see the spiritual aspect that you are sovereign. You have your hand over it already, and we get to see your inner workings. God, we lift up the Hansler family to you right now. God, we know that you see their pain. We know that you see their hurt. We know that you see their hearts. And God, we know that you care about their hearts. We thank you for the life that Lisa had, the, the life that she still has in our hearts today. God, and I pray that you allow them to find and celebrate and rejoice in the joy of the life that she had, especially because it was a life that loved to serve and rejoice in you. So God, we love you. We give you all the praise, and we thank you that you are a God who cares. And everybody said, amen. amen.